Where we left off in Genesis, we are going to start chapter 2 tonight. Chapter 2, we made it through chapter 1. And there's a lot more in there. Uh, you can continue to read and study. I encourage you in that. Uh, but we're going to pick up in chapter 2, and tonight we're going to talk about the Sabbath. We're going to talk about God's rest, entering into His rest. And so before we open God's Word, why don't we pray together one more time and just uh, ask God's Spirit to, to speak to us and teach us during this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Your Word is faithful. Lord, uh, even when uh, we're inadequate, or we're unprepared, or, or even when we are overprepared, your Word is true, and it, it speaks to our every need, and it guides us in our daily lives. And, and Lord, these verses in Genesis written thousands of years ago are as relevant today as they were when they were penned. So, Lord, I pray you'd show us what impact they are to have on us now and teach us, uh, Lord, how to represent you well here in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so picking up in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. So we just completed the creation account, the chronological creation account where it went through day 1 through 6 and talked about how God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them and even a brief uh, overview of his creation of man. And we talked last week about how we're made in his image and how incredible that is. And so we just finished a very chronological account. And one of the things we're going to discover in chapter 2, next week actually, is that chapter 2 is actually just basically a more detailed recap in many ways of the creation account. And it kind of shifts from the chronological uh, to more of a detailed narrative. So the creation of the heavens and the earth... And everything in them was finished. And on the seventh day, God ended all his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had completed. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So first of all, it is finished. It's interesting because the first thing that I'm sure comes to many of our minds when we hear that phrase is when God himself repeated that phrase thousands of years later. Remember that? Jesus completed the next stage in his plan for redemption of mankind. And it's it's amazing how he repeated these words. So here we see creation finished, the initiation of God's plan of redemption, of his plan to have a personal relationship with his creation, us, This is the completion of the initiation of that. The word finished is kalah in Hebrew. It means to end, means to complete, means to accomplish. It means to be completely and utterly done. And so there there is no mistake to be made here when he says finished. And the reason that I bring that up and the significance of the fact that he states that he is finished is important because, again, reiterating the... Amazing contrast between what the secular scientific community would have us think and what we know to be true in God's word. These are irreconcilable things. Once again, we see God said he's done creating. What does the evolutionary theory teach? What does that model say? Things are continuing to evolve, right? That that process is ongoing and unending and that we're just kind of in the midst of it right now. And, and that that's our story and that's, that's our existence. The Bible teaches something very different. Long ago, around 6,000 years ago, God created the earth in six literal days. 
and he completed that creation, and it was done. He stopped the work. He ceased from it, and it was complete. It was finished. There's nothing more to do. There's nothing left undone. It is completely contrary to what the evolutionary claims may say, that we're in process or that we're getting better. I don't know if you've looked around lately. I haven't noticed much of the getting better thing happening. Uh, it's, matter of fact, getting worse. And I think if anyone is honest in looking around, yes, we're more technologically advanced, and we're understanding more about this amazing world that God placed us in that really points to his glory, but when it comes to morally, we're certainly not getting better. When it comes to following God's intended plan for mankind, we're certainly not getting better. And we're certainly not seeing any evolutionary advances. I didn't sprout wings. As much as I'm tired of hating in traffic, I'm not sprouting wings. Yet the evolutionary theory says that because I need something, somehow it's going to come about. And obviously it's not observed. Um, creation is complete. And so we can look at the world around us and know God made it, and he made it how he intended to make it, except for the fact that we realize, again, we're in the fallen state. We're not seeing it in all of its glory in how it was originally made. But once again, one day, we will. It is done. And we read on in verse 2, it says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it, he rested from all the work which God created and made. Now, first of all, we have to ask the question, well, so was God worn out? Was he just tired? He had to take a nap? Uh, is it, he, did he take this rest out of necessity? Why would God rest and why would he record it? Obviously, there's a purpose in everything in God's word. Um, and we're, gonna, we're told in God's word very clearly what the Sabbath is for, why he designated and sanctified this day. It wasn't for him. It was for us. And we're going to learn more about that as we read through God's word. But this... We've read about the beginning of all creation. Now we're reading about the beginning of some of the things that God set up for his creation, us namely. The first thing being the Sabbath day, the Sabbath rest, the beginning of the Sabbath. What does the Sabbath mean? What does this word mean? The word literally means in Hebrew rest. It's actually the word Shabbat or Shabbat. We've heard that term before in Hebrew, and that's where it comes from. Is right here in Genesis, that's the word used, and it just literally means to rest to be in a state of repose, which is a state of rest and tranquility. It means to desist from exertion. And it also means, interestingly enough, to celebrate. It's also used and translated to celebrate. So what is the Sabbath? What is its purpose? You know, in our culture today, in our church today, we have a lot of different opinions about how important it is, don't we? And there's different, um, there's different churches that are built around the whole idea of the Sabbath. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, for example, that one of their core doctrines upon which they build their church and the reason they are separate the way they are is because of this very issue. What is the Sabbath and how should we deal with it? How important is it? Is it just a day of rest? And is it really matter? Is it a command? Is it important now? Was it a command then and not now? Uh, is it just old covenant? What is the deal? Well, I don't know about you guys, but we've, I've had my own frustrations with the Sabbath when I forget what day it is and I roll up to Chick-fil-A and I'm reminded, no chicken sandwiches today because they aren't open on Sunday. They honor the Lord on that day, and that's pretty cool. But it's meant to be a day of rest, and God did this to give us an example. And 
in doing this study, initially looking at the idea of rest, how many like to rest? Anybody like to rest? I like the idea of rest. And, you know, in my knee-jerk reaction, when I think about rest, we think about rest, my first reaction is, oh, of course, I love to rest. I, I, would, I would love to rest, theoretically. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things where if someone was asking me, uh, do I take time to rest, I, well, I would say yes. But then when I really think about it, I have to be honest, I'm really not very good at this whole rest thing. I'm not, I'm not doing it all that well. And as Mara will attest, you know, we ha used to have a hammock in our front yard, and I don't think I could spend more than five minutes in it before I was done resting. And then it was time to do something. I'm, I'm very much a doer. And so people like me have a hard time with this whole rest thing. And you may be like that too. But you know what? It is a command from God. It is something that he commanded his people to do. So obviously he took it seriously, and he knew we needed it. The question is, well, what do we do with it now? How important do we make it? Looking through scripture, I want to examine five things about the Sabbath. We're going to talk about five different points uh, that, the, that the, the scripture talks about, what the Sabbath is for, why it was designed, what we are supposed to do with it, try and get a clearer picture. And we're going to spend most of the night tonight talking about this because, you know, what? we do church all the time, don't we? We meet on Sunday, and there's all this controversy, uh, should it be Saturday, and does it even matter, and where do we end up with this? And we kind of just go about our lives without thinking much on it or really being settled in our hearts on it. How big of a priority is it? Does it really matter? Does God care all that much if I work seven days a week? Or, or what, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? What does God's word really say? Well, you know what? The, the Bible, in looking through it, I found, uh, there's, there's other little things, but I found five main things about the Sabbath that we are meant to take in mind. So the first one we see right here. So number one, the Sabbath is meant to be a memorial of the creation. It's a memorial of God's act of creation. And the reason, one of the reasons he set it up and told us to celebrate it or to, to uh, engage in the Sabbath rest was to remember, to sit and ponder what he made, to sit and ponder the fact that he is our creator and we are the created. It has that purpose. It's meant to be a reminder to us. It's not just to rest for rest's sake. We're told right here in Exodus, in the next book over, Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11, it says, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself, starting in just verse 11. Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, In six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And he says these words right after giving the command in Exodus 20 to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy. And God tells us right here in Genesis chapter 2 that God from day 1, well, day 7 technically, sanctified the Sabbath. He made it holy. He set it apart is what sanctified means. He set it apart and to honor it, and for us to put it for a special purpose. So we see, number one, it's meant to be a memorial of creation. There's several scriptures in the Old and New Testament where it talks about one of the main reasons for honoring the Sabbath is because the Lord set it up, and it's a reminder of his creation, his act of creation, his creative power. Number two, not only is it a memorial, it is, as I mentioned, a command from God. And back in Exodus 20, starting in verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Are we okay here? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath day of the Lord, your God, and in it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servants, your female servants, your cattle. Everybody is supposed to participate in this, everyone in your house, nor stranger who is within your gates. And skipping over to Exodus 35.1, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of Israel together, said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but on the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Whoa. Whoa, that's pretty severe. So... God got to the point where in reiterating his command to the children of Israel, they clearly weren't getting the point. He set up some pretty severe consequences for violating the Sabbath. You know, and we, in, in, in this day and age in the modern church, we don't tend to take the Sabbath very seriously. It's not that big a deal if we happen to do some work on the Sabbath. At least we don't think so. You know, but at one point, God made it pretty clear it's important to him. You know, and now obviously we live under a new covenant, Things have changed a bit for us, and we're going to talk about that. We're not going to be putting anybody to death here tonight. But it's obviously important enough that he would command his chosen people to honor it, and the penalty was death. That's how severe it was, because he wanted them to remember, first of all, what he did as their creator, what he did in calling them as his people. And he says, not only all these things of just resting, But the rest had a very specific purpose. It was sanctified. It was considered holy. It was the Lord's day. It was a day where I get six days to do my thing. The seventh day is the Lord's. It's time to focus on Him, honor Him, do His thing, and put aside my plans, my purposes. So, And it says that God Himself blessed it and sanctified it. You know, one of the reasons that it is so important is because the Sabbath itself is actually a symbol of the covenant that he made with his people. It's a symbol of the covenant, and it's a symbol of our sanctification. When it says he sanctified it, that word means to be ceremonial and morally clean. It means to be consecrated, to be dedicated, to be hallowed. And so this day was not just a day where he's trying to force everybody to take a nap. This was a day to truly focus on, on their creator. It was, it was a weekly reminder to refocus on who their God was, to refocus on who had chosen who, to refocus on what his purpose for them was. This wasn't just, okay, you have a forced nap here. It's like, you know, we have our, our heavenly father who makes us take a nap, like we, I make my children take a nap. You know, there was a lo- there's a lot more to it. This, this Sabbath day is a symbol of the covenant of God with us and the symbol of our sanctification. What's so neat about this is it says that they're supposed to remember the Lord who has commanded you and who has sanctified you. Even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God himself is saying, I have sanctified you. And under the Old Covenant, if you remember, the Old Covenant was all about works, wasn't it? It was like, here's your commands, here's what you're to do, command one through ten, do these things, do these sacrifices, and that's how you would, they would cover their sin, in essence. It was sort of a temporary fix for the problem. But it was all about works. It was all about what man could do to sanctify or cleanse himself. And they had these ceremonial cleansings and things they would do. But God here, we're already getting a glimpse of his plan of redemption right here in the Sabbath day command because he himself says that he is the sanctifier, not the sacrifices, that he is the sanctifier. And one day that would truly come about in Christ, wouldn't it? 
And so we see in the Sabbath a picture of the second covenant and the plan of redemption. It's meant to be a symbol of that. Exodus 31, 12 through 17 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. that You may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Exodus 31, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does, <clears throat> forever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. He reiterates it. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep it and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. So he takes it pretty seriously, I would say. He considers it a sign of his covenant. He considers it uh, something that he has especially set apart and sanctified as holy, and he expects his people to respond in like manner. And now we are the adopted sons and daughters of God, aren't we? We're brought into that family. We're grafted into that vine. And the Sabbath day is something we now partake in as his people. It's something that is for us, not just for the children of Israel. I want to talk a little bit about the controversy that goes on because we see these commands and this is where there's a bit of a rub and a controversy because we live under this new covenant, don't we? We live under the law of grace and mercy and we see in the New Testament some verses we're going to talk about where Paul talks about how one man honors a day over another or this food over that food and his ultimate conclusion is but everything is the Lord's and we walk in this freedom now. And so if that's the case, we, we then go, well, you know, it's, what's the big deal? But we can see that obviously this was incredibly important to God. And we have uh, the Seventh-day Adventist movement right here in Loma Linda is one of the biggest uh, concentrations in the area of the Seventh-day Church. And we hear sort of this controversy, something we run into. And I want to talk to you a little bit about it so you're just aware and understand where they're coming from. Because clearly, in reading these verses, you get the impression like there's some non-negotiables here. First of all, the Seventh-day is not Sunday. That's true. Seventh day is Saturday, technically. It's the end of the week, not the beginning of the week. So why don't we celebrate it on that day? Well, I'm going to give you a couple quick points so you understand where their theological standpoint is. I'm not going to get too deeply into it, but then I want to give you some scripture that undergirds and is the foundation of how we uh, treat the Sabbath now. I want you to understand why we do what we do. I want you to understand why you do what you do. You're not just going through motions because that's kind of what the herd mentality does. You know, it's, it's important because clearly God said it was important. Amen? He's, the consequence at one point was death for not honoring it. Clearly it's important. We need to understand it. So a little bit about the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, they have traditionally distinguished between what they call the moral law and the ceremonial law. So these two separate sets of laws. In essence, the moral law, which was the Ten Commandments and, and this being one of them, was considered part of the moral law. The moral law, what they say, is what endures forever. It transcends Old and New Covenant, Old and New Testament, and it's something that God expects his people to keep, period. So they distinguish between that and what they call the ceremonial law, which a lot of the other laws, as far as the sacrifices and ceremonies and all of that, and, and that stuff was fulfilled in Christ. And so that's been fulfilled, done away with. Now we're under the moral law, which still 
was from the beginning of time, and therefore we're expected to honor the Sabbath just as it was stated in the Old Testament. We're expected to do some of these things. You run into some trouble with that, though, because if you're really going to follow God's word to a T and take that for face value, you end up with some issues. For instance, I don't think that law enforcement agencies would be okay if they took it upon themselves to put someone to death for not honoring the Sabbath. And so they obviously place some limits on that obedience, and in, in doing so, they contradict themselves to an extent. But they also believe what's interesting is relating to eschatology or end times, they, <clears throat> they believe, and the very, from the very pioneering of the Seventh-day Adventist church in that movement, they believed and taught that the Seventh-day Sabbath in and of itself was one of the critical and pivotal issues in end times. It was going to be a test. So in other words, at the end times, we get to part of the tribulation, one of the big tests was going to be this, basically, eventually, an edict being issued by the government and religious powers that required people to worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. And that would be a test as to whether they would follow the Lord or not. So they believe that the whole issue of the Sabbath is going to be a pivotal issue in end times and that they will be tested as to whether they'll be faithful to worship on the right day and in the way God said or not. And that that will be a determining issue for them in end times. That's how seriously they place this whole Sabbath thing. They, that's what they believe. They think that ultimately Sunday... There'll become, an, there'll, there'll become an international Sunday law that is enforced by a coalition of religious and secular authorities and that ultimately they could be imprisoned or martyred for not honoring that day. That's what they believe. And so this is a critical, pivotal thing for them. So our question we have to ask ourselves is, well, are they right? Are they on to something? God did once proclaim the death penalty for not honoring the Sabbath. Is that still the case? What does it mean to us now? Well, let's look at Scripture. That's always a good place to check. I think we might find some, some um, revealing things there. <coughs> so first of all, when it comes to celebrating on Sunday, I want to give you a little background about church history in Scripture. Because it doesn't, didn't just come about because Constantine decreed it. It didn't just come about because of a meshing of pagan and Christian cultures. Uh, it goes back farther than that. One of the foundational premises that our modern Christian church worships the Lord on the Sabbath, or on Sunday rather, not Saturday, but on Sunday, the first day of the week, not the last, is found in Matthew 28. So if you want to jot down, in Matthew 28 we find, now after the Sabbath, Matthew 28, 1 through 6 says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week. So what's the first day? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. So it's on Sunday. As the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen as he had said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. So our Lord rose on the first day of the week. And that's something we celebrate. That's something we as a church walk in and live in. That's, that is the epiphany of the new covenant in which we exist now. The new life we have in Christ. We celebrate his resurrection because we celebrate on Sunday, we worship on Sunday. One of the main reasons is because that's when our Lord rose. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Symbolizing new beginning. 
symbolizing a fresh start, symbolizing what he came to bring. Also, we have an indication that the early church became accustomed to doing this from time to time. As early back in Acts chapter 20, we read about Acts chapter 20, verse 6 and 7. says, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now on the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. The first day of the week, when the disciples came together, they came together and broke bread, and Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message and teaching until midnight. And that's actually the story where the guy falls asleep and falls out the window and dies, and, and then his, his rose, and, God, and Paul raises him up, and, and uh, God uses him to bring him back to life. But it was on Sunday. And we see that there's indications <clears throat> throughout Acts in the New Testament that Sunday was a common day to have their love feasts or their gatherings and where doctrine was brought forth and there was this constant need in the early church to lay the foundation of doctrine and teaching and to make sure there's consistency and answer questions. So that was a very common day in the early church to gather, teach the scripture, teach the doctrine of Jesus and grow the church and break bread. And so we see it wasn't just uh, as, as the Seventh-day Adventists will tell you, it was because it was decreed into law back in, the, I think, around AD 150, and, and it was this meshing of pagan and Christian cultures, and that's where it, it became Sunday. And that's not the whole truth. Yes, there was a law decreed at one point, but we see the early church regularly taught and worshipped on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And we see in examining early church fathers' letters that they're, one of the, the reasons is, is celebrating the Lord's resurrection, that that was the day he rose. So ultimately, is it so critical? Is it really something that will seal us in end times or, or decide whether we're true Christians or not? Is it really something we need to haggle and fight over? Well, let's look at some more scripture. Romans 14 gives us a little bit about how we're supposed to deal with this whole struggle, this doctrinal difference here. Romans 14, verse 4 says, Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or he falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him to stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and he who gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So Paul makes the argument there pretty clearly that... We're not to have this be a cause of division. We're not to allow this to be something that is uh, so important in the church that it becomes a reason why we go, okay, you're wrong, you're going to hell, we're right, we aren't going to hell, and it's all about the Sabbath. Clearly, that's not what we're supposed to do because he speaks very clearly here of even observing days, doesn't he? And we're, this is God's word. We are to honor the Lord with every day. But there's more. Colossians 2.14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. So the handwriting of requirements, speaking of the law and the things that brought us into bondage before, Sabbath is part of that. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadow of things to come. The substance is Christ. So the Sabbath itself is given to us is still a continual reminder to us of what the true substance is. What is that substance? What is the Sabbath representing? Well, that brings us on to principle number four. Talk about three things. The essence of the Sabbath, it has always been intended to be a symbol of the promised rest to come. You see, on this earth, we don't really get true rest, do we? It, it's okay. I mean, you have that picture in your head of being on a beach in Hawaii and having no interruptions and a, a little smoothie to drink or something and, no, and, and it's blissful perfection for probably 30 minutes and that's about it. But this earth, there is no true rest. There is no true peace. It's a fallen world. There's suffering. There's pain. And we could do everything right and then someone comes and knocks us out of our hammock. You know, and we get disrupted or, or someone in our family dies. Tragic things happen. Things out of our control. But the Sabbath, this day of rest, this day of the Lord, is meant to continue to be a reminder to us, not only of creation and what God did and and who He is, uh, not only is it a command to keep holy and to focus on Him, but it is a promise of good things to come. It's a little taste. It's kind of, we have to force ourselves to take the taste because we get so busy. But it's a taste of the rest we will one day enjoy in His presence forever. It's a symbol of the promised rest to come. It's that foretaste of that glory divine. Hebrews 4.1 talks a little bit about this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. He just got done in chapter 3, talking about how the Israelites had failed in unbelief over and over again. Remember how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? They failed to enter his rest, that promised land. And, and it says here in Hebrews, it was because of unbelief. But he talks about how that was a symbol, a symbol of something more and how it applies to us today and how we can learn from their mistake and their lack of belief. Let us fear, it says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, in other words, we failed to enter it truly and fully now, there still remains a promise of entering it. It says, let us fear unless you come short of it, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith and those that heard it. For we have believed and do enter that rest, as he has also said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He refers right back to when Sabbaths were initiated in, at the point of the foundation of this world, when the Creator put it in place. It was finished then. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, they shall not enter my rest. And since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. You know, this concept of the Sabbath really permeates all of Scripture. One of the things we see indicated here and in many other places is that the Sabbath is really, because it's a day to honor the Lord, it's a day to stop doing our thing, 
it's really about faith. It's really about trust. And I'll tell you why. Because if we're trying to build our kingdom on earth here, we're trying to make our money, fix our house, do our thing, take care of our needs, and we're stressed out and, and times are tough, when it comes to that day we're supposed to rest, what's the temptation? To keep on working, right? Why? Because we see ourselves as the provider. We see ourselves as the source of security and making ends meet and getting where we want to go. So when we stop and we cease and we rest and we honor the Lord in that day, that's one of the ways that we tell the Lord we truly trust Him as our provider. That we don't feel like we got to work seven days a week to make ends meet because we know ultimately it's from Him. He's the provider. And so by us stopping, it's a way to honor Him and saying, you know what, I trust you enough to let go of things for one day and trust that you're going to provide for my needs. I'm going to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all the rest will be added. That's what the day is for. It's an act of obedience because it shows our faith. It shows our trust. It shows that we truly believe and take him at his word. And that's why he takes it seriously when we don't. Because we're in essence saying the opposite when we don't. God, I don't really trust you. I don't really think you make you meet my needs or you're going to provide for me, so i got to keep work. I, can't, I don't got time for your rest thing. i gotta make, I got to get things handled down here. That's what we're doing. That's what we're saying when we aren't willing to rest, when we aren't willing to set aside some time for the Lord. We're, we're stressing out because we think it's all on us, and it's not. He is our provider, and if we truly believe that, we'll obey this command to rest. Apologize, I'm still got a little residual going on from the various viruses going around. Let's think of Matthew 13, 22, the parable of the sower. There's an interesting glimpse of the, of the Sabbath in here. It says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns, is he who hears the word, and, and then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. What happened here? He failed to enter into, his, into God's rest. He failed to rest. The cares of the world, his pursuit of wealth and earthly things, choked the word out. The Sabbath is meant to prevent that because it's that day where it gives us that constant reminder to trust in the Lord. Luke 12, Matthew 6, speaks of these things, talking about seeking first, as I mentioned, seeking first his kingdom and all the rest is added. Philippians 4, 6 is the essence of the Sabbath. It says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That is the essence of the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath, the more we read about it and understand it, it actually turns out it's not just about a day. It's about really a state of being. It's about being and existing in his rest continually. And that's what this is talking about here. Ultimately, the truth of the Sabbath is going to culminate in the return of our king and where we enter into his permanent rest. But we can have his rest here and now, here on this earth, if we have this attitude that the Sabbath represents, that we trust him and are at peace and recognize him for who he is. So bringing it back to the here and now, over and over in the Gospels, we read about how Jesus did things on the Sabbath, don't we? What was he constantly doing? Irritating those Pharisees, right? 
Over and over we read, and he did this on the Sabbath, and he did this on the Sabbath. Oh, and by the way, this was on the Sabbath too. And you see, there's always a Pharisee there or some religious uh, leader of that day just getting utterly irritated and calling him a blasphemer, calling him all kinds of things for violating the Sabbath. And we can kind of get a glimpse of why if you look back at the command to put people to death for not honoring it, but they were missing the whole point. They were missing the whole point. And one example of it is in Mark 2.24 where the Pharisees come and talk to Jesus and say, and they're talking among each other and say, look, why, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And, he, and this is actually the Pharisees talking to about Jesus' disciples or accusing the disciples of breaking the Sabbath by collecting grain and eating those heads of grain. And Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and those with him? How he went to the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the showbread. And he did that which was not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for our sake. It wasn't meant to be this source of bondage, this source of legalistic law where we whack each other over the head when we don't obey it, this other thing we get all caught up in and fight over and dispute about. It was for our sake. The Seventh-day Adventists fall into this same trap that the Pharisees fell into, this same exact trap. But more deeply than this, the Pharisees got it so utterly wrong because they really missed the clear teaching of God in their own scriptures. You know, it isn't just the New Testament that talks about it's okay to do good things on the Sabbath. Turns out, God's been saying that all along. What the point they were missing was it wasn't all about this legalistic view of resting in the physical sense, like stop doing work. That was just a side note. That was really just sort of an undergirder for the real principle. The whole point was stop doing your thing. Stop doing your toil. It doesn't mean don't do anything. And you know, and no, I know this is spoken clearly in the Old Testament in several places, one of which I'll read to you in Isaiah 58. In Isaiah 58, it's interesting because this is, this is pre-Jesus and Isaiah is basically echoing the exact words that Jesus is speaking when he is confronting the Pharisees and he asks them, hey, is it okay to do good things on the Sabbath? Isaiah, God makes it clear all the way back then. Let's read Isaiah 58. Starting in verse 5, it says, Is it a fast like this which I chose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out the sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast? even an acceptable day to the Lord. This is not the fast that I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? See, Jesus said this very thing. Doesn't this sound so familiar? He's out there healing people and he's challenging the Pharisees right before he heals a man. He says, is it, a, is it lawful? Judge for yourself to do good on the Sabbath or not? To help someone or not? Well, even if, you're, if your donkey falls into a pit, won't you pull him out? And he's calling them on their own hypocrisy and the fact that they're completely missing the point. And here in their own scriptures they had in that day, it was taught very clearly. 
says, when you do these things, so in other words, when you're helping the hungry, when you're doing these things, it says, then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, and then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. If you will remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you'll give yourself to the hungry to satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness, and your gloom will become like midday. The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. You will be like the watered garden and like the spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord. And I will make you to ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. That's what he meant when he made the Sabbath rest. That's what he meant when it was for our good. It really holds a key to fellowship with him. It holds a key to experiencing the glory of the relationship we can have. And it really kind of holds a key to blessing, great blessing, that we utterly deny when we make it all about us when we get so caught up in, in making things work for ourselves and providing for ourselves and doing our thing, he says very clearly here in Isaiah 58 what his intention was all along. And they missed it then, and they missed it in Jesus' day, and we still miss it now. But God has such a blessing for us. Hmm, that wasn't part of the plan. God has such a blessing for us in the Sabbath. And I don't know about you, but I want to enter into that rest. I want to participate in that. Sounds pretty good to me. So in conclusion, we've talked about five things. How the Sabbath is a memorial of creation. It reminds us of our creator. It reminds us of what he's done for us in this grand initiation. That, he, that, that it was him who loved us first. It was him who put this whole thing into motion. It's a command. It truly is a command. It's a symbol of our sanctification. It's a symbol of God's covenant with us. And it's a symbol of our dependence on God. And it's a symbol of obedience. Number four, we talked about how it's a symbol of the promised rest to come. It gives us hope in how good it's going to be one day in eternity with Christ. That's where we truly enter that permanent rest. And that's not just, again, it's not just rest. It is joy. It is delight. It is all the best of what life was meant to be. And lastly, it's a practical gift from God. It's for our good, and it is for doing good, not doing nothing. It's for our good, and it is for doing good. So let's remember the Sabbath. Let's keep it holy. Let's use it for the purpose for which it's intended. Because in it is great blessing, and I think we'll be all the better for it. I think God holds great things in store for those who do honor that day. Let's not get caught up in the petty things that we weren't meant to get caught up in. God's word is clear on these things. And if we listen to it, if we obey it, God will bless. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the Sabbath, Lord, that it was for our good. We thank you that it's meant to give us a day in which we focus on you and nothing else, a day in which we turn our attention outside of ourselves 
and seek to be your hands and feet here on this earth, to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to do the things that represent your true love and character well. Lord, help us to be faithful to honor the Sabbath, your Sabbath. Thank you for that gift. And Lord, I pray for your blessing and your rest to be upon every person here as we go out from this place and as we fellowship for the remainder of the evening. May we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.